to a conversation I had a little earlier today, the Pokemon Go phenomena. The boys, Mr Wisson and Mr Grenfell, I'm sure, were speaking uh, very... What, how, how were you speaking? Give me a little oh, update on what the comments look, were. There was, I was in the lavatory, what a was certain the degree of respect for the phenomenon, and then it very quickly <laughs> descended into uh, snarky contempt. I think, well, is that a fair summary, Snarky Ray? contempt? Yeah. Well, think, no, um, look, snarky contempt mixed with curiosity, uh, inquisitiveness. No, to be serious peculiar. for a moment, it is, it is clearly a, a very curious social phenomenon. It's mm. important that, mm. that we get our heads around what's going on. And it's, there's lots of different aspects to it in terms of collective manifestation of people getting out in the street. The 2,000 people in Kings Park last mm. Monday night, for goodness sake. I mean, I yeah. genuinely want to get my head around it, so I'm interested in, in listening to this, this interview. I mean, it is also, there's the element of life as simulation and it's kind of frightening that it takes a screen for people but, to go out. But then the irony of that, Ray, being that in uh, actually pursuing a virtual experience, people actually are trying to embrace a real experience, mm. right? So like that's one of the... That's one of the cars right, well, yeah. yeah, but that's one of the contradictions of the phenomenon. One of the things that is intriguing about it is that you're right, It's it actually... I mean, I think you could never be more alone than when you're in that crowd of 2,000, arguably... But then people might uh, have a different perspective that, you know, there's talk of people who are very depressed, uh, were shut-ins, that this is prompting them to leave the house. There's different aspects of it. Well, as someone who was amongst on Saturday night about, I reckon there was more than 2,000, I reckon it was more like three, 4,000 people up in Kings Park. Mm. And yeah, I try and actually just, you know, make an assessment of the vibe. It was almost, and this is kind of... A bit crude, well, like it's hard to find actually language around it because it was almost a bit of a festival kind of vibe, but with uh, people walking around zombie-like mm. on their phones. Mm. Like it was actually, it was actually quite an interesting experience just being there, and there there was uh, it was a really nice feeling amongst people that they were actually and you know. I was chatting with Kate a little bit, who will be uh, dissecting this much more intelligently than we are at the moment. But uh, the you know the feeling was interesting, and, and the people that were walking the streets are not people that you would generally see mm. walking the streets. And you know, let's make an assessment. Well, I guess. Ray's sniggering if you haven't heard that on the on the effects microphone there. But well, uh, yeah, I think that's a serious point that Corinne's raised. Well, what's yeah. the? Uh, you you know, want to see them walking the streets? Well, how do they? What do they eat? <laughs> Well, hang on, no, 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 hang on. There's a serious just... point there of people being socialised and actually coming together in public, in, coming together in public places. Well, that's again, there are contradictions. There are, but you've got to take that seriously. No, hang on, right? You've got to take that seriously. The fact that there are certain segments of the population that are so alienated, are so kind of Atomized. actually craving mm. a collective experience of some kind, and clearly at one level it is a collective experience. So, can you argue that that's a positive dimension that people are living well, in houses and having a collective experience yeah, in a public you, place? You have these people at home. Uh, connecting basically through the internet and even that's probably a step forward from back not so long ago when they would have just been on their actual device by themselves. So that's, You don't think that the uh, proliferation of these devices has increased the level of social atomisation? Well, it's just a double-edged sword, isn't it? That's exactly, it's a double-edged sword. I think it's more complex than you're making out, Ray. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I'm, I've got, I'm cynical about it and I'm being, you know, being a little bit silly mm. and I kind of... I don't know. Look, I condemn certain aspects of it, but then I recognise that it's it's more complex. There's a lot of dimensions to this, I think. Anyway, the, the, the people uh, wandering those streets, uh, were they any more ludicrous than the people yelling, the 40,000 in the football field, uh, having that kind of experience? Anyway, 
For a much more uh, in-depth and interesting analysis than our own, uh, we went to Dr. Raines Goldie. She is the an adjunct research fellow with Curtin University School of Media, Culture and Creative Arts. We've had her on the show before talking about uh, some privacy issues. She has a PhD uh, in this area. She's also a games designer, so quite an appropriate person. And, uh, yeah, just uh, started by asking her to give uh, her opinion on the whole phenomenon. Well, I, I'm really torn about it because, on the one hand, um, I'm a game designer that's been working on physical world games, kind of like Pokemon Go, for about the past 10 years. And this is kind of the first time that we're seeing that really, really go mainstream. And it's really exciting to see people outside playing the game, um, walking around, going into parks and nature and talking to each other. So that's really cool. But on the other hand, I'm torn because of the kind of privacy and surveillance issues that are coming along with it. So, um, yeah, really nice to see people in the park, but privacy is a concern for me. Talk to us a little bit uh, more broadly about the the privacy concerns that that you have. So, to play, you have to have a Google account to to, to basically log in. And so, uh, when it it first launched, um, basically, so if you're using Android, um, you can see kind of what the, the app is requesting, and it basically requested everything. So theoretically, it could get access to your um, your email, and, and the company behind it, Niantic, said that that wasn't the case. But they they could access it, but they weren't. So I guess you have to trust them, and they they're working on a fix now, so that the permissions are fixed a bit better. Um, so people feel okay. Well, you know, I don't have to worry about it anymore. But um, the issue is not so much um, that's one specific thing that they're fixing, but the fact that basically there's all this really um, precise geospatial data that's being collected um, for people who are using the app. So if you're, you're walking around playing Pokemon Go all day, it's, it's collecting all of this information about where you are and potentially who you're with and how long you're spending in certain places. And in aggregate, that data is really useful and um, quite valuable to companies like um, Tesla who are, or even Apple who are working on self-driving cars or Uber who basically um, they're working on having replacing all of their drivers with... Um, self-driving cars as well, so information about um, the world and the space that we live in. So that necessarily doesn't necessarily seem, you know, concerning um, at the kind of um, first glance. But the problem with that is that it means that you have all this information collected about all sorts of different people that's linked with your Google account. So anything that you've been looking at on the Internet, um, your browsing history, other things that are being tracked by Google are being cross-referenced and aggregated with all of this other information that's being collected about you. So there's really, really nuanced information um, about your daily life is being stored somewhere, and we don't know how that's being protected from hackers. We don't know um, how that may be shared with law enforcement. It did say in the terms of service that they can they can turn it over to law enforcement, which, again, people say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong, so I don't have to worry about it, but um, things like... I think it was earlier this year or last year, there was a uh, federal government put out an anti-radicalization booklet um, to to kind of inform people about people being radicalized and becoming terrorists. And in that pamphlet, they had pictures of people peacefully protesting the WA shark call. So you can see, you know, there's, you know, if you're doing something that you believe in that might be um, not what the government agrees with, um, protecting the environment or fighting for social justice or fighting against um, people being detained in, um, in Manus, 
the government doesn't necessarily agree with that. Who knows what they could do with that information? Who knows what's going to happen? So I think people are being really, really trusting here of big companies and, and what's going to happen in the government. People don't trust them, you know. People are very skeptical about politicians. Um, in other cases, you know, people are pretty skeptical about politics. We just had a big election. But for some reason, that seems to, to turn off when um, looking at Pokemon Go or heaps of other things online. We can share tons of information about ourselves. So, yes, yeah, some very concerning uh, aspects there. Perhaps uh, asking you to put on your other hat as a, as a games designer, could you maybe uh, comment a little bit on, you know, obviously this is a, a phenomenon that, you know, it does have some interesting positive aspects or kind of in perhaps this kind of technology in the hands of some more progressive people or, I don't know, like just the, the idea of using games and and these kind of platforms as tools for social change, which I understand is something you're very interested in and, and working on. Yeah, so um, my um, game consultancy, Games We Play, we've been working on um, games like Pokemon Go, but not with massive amounts of data being collected, but that kind of thing for um, space activation or community building or education. And because these games are played in a physical world and played with other people, they kind of are naturally good at doing things like getting people engaged with issues or um, getting people out in the physical world or engaging with issues of public space um, and community issues. So it's really nice because the moment you tell people this game is about exercise or this game is about some pro-social thing, people turn to, tend to kind of shut off. If they want to play a game because it's fun. So Pokemon Go, Go is not a game about exercise or a game about being in public space or a game about um, engaging with other, other people, but it ends up being about that just because of the way that it's played. So um, physical world games have this, just by their inherent way that they're played, um, have this really nice way of, of having good outcomes, but also being really, really fun, and so they can be really effective at that. Pokemon Go actually came out of another game called Ingress, which was also created by Google. So the company Niantic behind Pokemon Go was actually is now a spin-off company from Google, but still has, they still have um, the major shareholder in the company. So there's still very strong connections there. So um, Ingress is very similar to Pokemon Go and actually is um, where a lot of the kind of crowdsourced information that came from Pokemon Go came from Ingress. So people, you know, you're playing, you may wonder why is there really precise, site-specific stuff like Pokestops that have, you know, cool graffiti that's down the street. How do they have a picture of that? How do they have this really nuanced stuff going on and that's because it was information that was collected by players from from ingress so i guess what that shows is that you know ingress has been around and it had kind of a niche following it obviously didn't make the huge splash that pokemon go did and i think the difference there is just the fact that because it's kind of a new way to play um ingress kind of didn't really it was too much for people to to get their heads around but I think having the brand of Pokemon behind something, people get Pokemon, people get, get the dynamic of collecting things, and also people are really excited about it. So that was kind of, I think, the secret sauce that um, made Pokemon Go so successful versus other attempts in the past to um, to create something like this on a kind of mainstream scale. That was Dr. Kate Raines-Goldie, and I hope uh, that you were tuning in and uh, listening to what, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting kind of phenomena. We're here in the studio, uh, my my friends in the studio hopefully will listen back because we were furiously debating, uh, discussing uh, the issue and, 
you know, it's really complex. Um, I think where we came to in our little discussion here, uh, encouraged Ray and Alex to have listened to Kate. But, uh, you know, our discussion here, you know, where's this going to go? It's, it's really hard to see. But I think, you know, one of the things I was chatting with Kate about there is where, you know, where could these kind of things say? Well, what actually, what games, you know, the, what is happening here can it be a useful yeah. tool for social well, change? Well, certainly, I mean, and this not, is not, not my... Not Pokemon, obviously. Yeah, not the, all the, the concerns sure, about sure, massive companies uh, owning the private... You know, the, the concerns with privacy, all of that. But, you know, as grassroots, you know, open source software processes, you know, actually getting people out of their houses, out mm-hmm. of, away from the atomization and connecting... You know, can yeah. games, can games have, have I mean, all that? I mean, again, as we said before, it's a complex phenomenon. It's not my world. I haven't played video games for a long time. But certainly I know with, if you take the example of World of Warcraft or a lot of massive multiplayer mm. uh, online games, uh, clearly that this notion of people sitting in their lounge rooms in that particular instance with headphones on, talking to people all around the world, and that becomes a vehicle or a launching pad uh, for communication and interaction of all other kinds. So people actually meet their spouses through mm. World of Warcraft and so on. Now, some people, including myself, to be honest, find that a bit strange and a bit depressing but the point being that it can be a vehicle uh, for other forms of social organising social communication, social interaction uh, so as and we, mm. we were having a furious debate, it wasn't like the <laughs> news readers that you watch on commercial television where they have a fake conversation, we were genuinely having a furious debate while we are off air um, and I'm still trying to get my head around it all, mm. it's, my goodness, it's, it's a deep and fascinating social phenomenon yeah. but you know, it is just a game, it is a form of escape ultimately and that's one thing we were saying is is there real meaning? Is there real some collective purpose to it that it's actually going to lead to something socially useful, socially productive? No. I, I think not. I think I'm inclined to say no. But, you know, I'm open to debate and mm. discussion of this, you know, very extraordinary... I mean, because it is. It's an extraordinary well, phenomenon, clearly. Well, I, I think, think most importantly, if it, it's just not a substitute for anything. You know, yeah. you, it's, it's, it is purely cathartic spectacle and it's not actually... I mean, we made the comparison to political rallies. There's an element of spectacle there, but that has the possibility to actually be something more. You know, you can gab with other human beings and create something. You can organise things. You can affect and change the means by which you work and the, the ways in which you produce, uh, you know, your food or build but, your houses yeah. or anything. But when you're purely locked into this homogeneous experiential medium where, like, you're, you're, you know, while it changes from circumstance to circumstance, whether you're catching a a zoo bat or catching something else, the reality is it's still very much a homogeneous experience and it's it's not actually about human relationships and mm. participating in to a large extent. We, we have a need for this catharsis though and and it's a, you know it's a psychological need that we we, we need and uh, you know some people get it through sport some people get it through music some people get it through taking drugs or whatever mm. you know for a certain demographic the people are finding catharsis through this and you know in a fucked up world like it's it's easy to be judgmental about people that are that are finding that catharsis through this particular mechanism. And that's one aspect of it. And I think it's I think it's fine and it's it's indisputable. I mean, I, I'm I'm a lover of uh, Aussie rules football. I'm a lover of Star Wars. I have plenty of means of escape and and kind of cultural enjoyment. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think where people can get uh, confused and and a little uh, over the top perhaps is in imagining that these technology platforms because they do almost seem like a form of magic are transformative in terms of social relations. Well, yes, they can be transformative, but in all kinds of negative ways, I would argue, in terms of alienation, atomisation. So whether it's a vehicle for something more meaningful, again, I I would be highly, highly doubtful of, of that. No, I don't think anyone's really making that argument that it is, but as a just a catharsis... 
I mean, really, one of the aspects here that we haven't really touched upon is the, and we did a little bit with the the privacy Kate was talking about, but there's an insidi- the insidiousness of these massive corporations. You know, ten billion dollars in just a few days. You know, obviously, there's stuff going on in the background that. Um, well, Nintendo shares have gone up. I forget the exact figure, but they've skyrocketed. Right, ten billion. Guys, in right, 10 billion. Okay, well, there you go. Insane. Mm. Anyway, interesting stuff. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the intermediate show on RTR. Watch, watch this space. That's what I'd say. Watch this.